We are week four in our uncomfortable series, and this entire series we've been discussing topics that uh, a lot of us have questions about, but we don't necessarily like talking about. It makes us uncomfortable to discuss these things, and today we're going to address the number one question that people requested in my little survey, and what does the Bible say about taboo issues like alcohol, marijuana, e-cigarettes, tattoo, and gambling? So this one's going to be a really easy one to talk about, right? Insert sarcastic emoji here, right? This is going to be uh, a good time this morning. Now, taboo is defined as a social or religious custom prohibiting or forbidding discussion of a particular practice or forbidden association with a particular person, place, or thing. And so traditionally, many of those things that I have just listed off have been considered taboo in the church. They're issues that people are facing and they have questions about, but we don't necessarily discuss or we don't give good answers to those questions. And many pastors are hesitant to take a stand on those topics. And I get these questions all the time. Is it a sin to have a beer? Um, What do you think about medical marijuana? Is it a bad thing to have an e-cigarette? If I gamble a little bit for fun, what does God think about all that? And chances are you have wrestled with some of those questions as well, or perhaps you've had people ask you about those questions. And so we are going to dive into those topics this morning, and we're going to look at these questions and see what the Bible has to say. Now, as always, you know this, we're going to stick close to the Word of God because the Scripture is the authority for our life, and so my opinion doesn't matter, and unfortunately, your opinion doesn't matter either. The Word of God is what matters. However, we have one small problem when we start diving into these issues. Culturally speaking, Many of the topics that we wrestle with today, many of those things that I just listed off to you today, um, weren't really a cultural issue back when the Bible was written. And so many things have changed over the last 2,000 years that makes it very difficult to approach these questions. For example, what does the Bible say about tattoos? When you start looking into Scripture, what you see is that most tattoos, when, uh, when the Scriptures was written, was in regards to pagan worship. So how does that apply today? People ask questions about, well, what do you think about e-cigarettes? Well, that wasn't even a, a thing 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written. So every one of these issues has some cultural limitations because the things we discuss today are are not specifically written about in Scripture. Therefore, we have issues that we call the gray areas, the gray areas in Scripture. So what do we mean when we say gray areas? They're not specifically mentioned in the Bible. So the challenge for us is to read the Bible and try to find principles that apply to those areas areas. For example, the scripture is silent on medical marijuana. It does not say anything about that in scripture. So how do we approach this? Well, there are two parameters that Christians need to have when approaching gray areas. The first is this. We fight for closed-handed issues, and we hold to personal convictions for open-handed issues. There are certain things that are discussed in Scripture that are not debatable. For example, the Scripture is very clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is not multiple paths to heaven. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. So when you start talking about salvation, that is a closed-handed issue. We cannot debate that. There's not room for debate there. That is in black and white laid out over and over again in Scripture and it's very plain to see. However, on the other hand, there are open-handed issues where Bible-loving, Jesus-loving Christians disagree. For example, there are many Bible-loving, Jesus-loving Christians who believe that Jesus returns for the church before the tribulation, what we call the rapture. Many people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that Jesus takes the church to heaven and then chaos ensues on earth that brings the end of things as we know it. There are also other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people who believe Jesus comes after the tribulation to get his church. And so both sides of this, both love scripture, both are reading scripture. Uh, They're just seeing it different way. We call that an open-handed issue. And we say, look, you believe it that way because of how you read scripture. I believe it this way with how I read it, scripture. It would be foolish for us to allow ourselves to be divided over issues that God does not make abundantly clear inside of his word. 
So we fight for closed-handed issues, and we hold to personal convictions on open-handed issues. The second parameter that we need to apply when we're dealing with these gray areas is that the Scripture gives us a guidelines, and that guidelines is that we should live by principle and biblical wisdom. So when we start looking at the Scripture, it gives us principles, and it gives us biblical wisdom that we need to follow. And that's where we're going to start reading today. If you would please stand with me as I read the Word of God. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4, starting in verse number 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. You should bring your Bible to church because you should always check up on the preacher. I know him. He could be wrong. I know him really well. He did really bad in school, okay? You definitely want to check up on him. Starting in verse number 5 of Proverbs chapter 4, it says, it says get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get in sight. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and will she bestow on you a beautiful crown. Let's pray over the scripture today. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us through your word. And I pray today as we look to your word for principle, and we look to it for wisdom and insight, Lord, that you would lead us into all truth, and you would teach us how we can honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Now, the scripture commands us to seek wisdom. So when we approach topics that are not specifically stated in Scripture, what we need to do is understand that there are principles inside of Scripture that we are going to apply to the issue that we are facing and approaching. Therefore, we gain wisdom when we approach these topics with biblical wisdom, even though the Bible is silent on these issues. And the Bible is silent on a lot of issues that we are concerned about. Now, you might be wondering, why didn't God just lay everything out in black and white so that there are no open-handed issues? Why didn't God just close the book on everything? Wouldn't that have been easier for us? And here's my answer to that. God is not interested in behavior modification. He's interested in heart change. We talk about that a lot here, and I reference that a lot because it's very important for us to understand what God is trying to do. We often look to modify someone's behavior but because we're interested in what we can see. Jesus is trying to change our hearts because he's more interested in what we cannot see. He's interested in the root of our heart, and his desire is from our heart that we would honor Jesus. And so what Jesus in the scripture is trying to do is he's trying to get us to have a heart change by principle, where he's not telling us a bunch of do's and don'ts, but that he lays out the basic fundamentals of faith, the basic fundamentals of things to avoid, and then allow those principles to guide us into all truth so that we can honor him with our lives. Now, with those two parameters established, let's dive into this. Gambling, tattoos, weed, alcohol, what, whatever gray area or issue you might be facing, how do you start? How do you start to approach things that, that are gray, so to speak? The command of Scripture is to get wisdom and to gain understanding. Now, how do you gain wisdom? You do that by asking questions. We need to ask a lot of questions. When you read through the book of Proverbs, what you will see is that time and time again, the writer is instructing the listener to stop and listen. My son, listen to my words. You will, you will read a variation of that command over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Son, listen to my words. Listen to my words, not just with your ears, but with your heart. Apply what I'm saying so that you can gain some wisdom and you can gain some insight. So if we're going to gain any wisdom and insight into these topics, what we have to do is we have to ask some questions. And as we gain that wisdom from those questions, that wisdom will guard our hearts. 
That's the point of asking the questions, to guard ourselves. That's what the Scripture tells us that wisdom will do. It will put up some guardrails in your life so that you will not end up into the ditch. And that's what Scripture is trying to do. We're going on a journey in life, and the Scripture sets up a right guardrail and a left guardrail so that we can bounce off of them, but we're not going to end up into a big ravine with a ball of fire and flame, and we all lose everything. We're on the road safe by the guardrails. So what questions should we be asking when we're approaching these gray areas? And I want to give you a grid. I want you to imagine a grid where you go through these five questions, and based upon these answers, you have some principles to live your life by. Now, let me show you very quickly what these questions are, because you can take these questions, apply them to any topic, even ones that we are not discussing today. When facing great issues, the first question I I should ask is this, is it scriptural? What does the Word of God say about this topic? We understand that the Word is our foundation, and it's a final authority for our life. We say around here, we, we quote the early church father who said, where Scripture speaks, God speaks, right? So this is God speaking to us. It's our authority, not our feelings. And here's what 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, Right, So when we love God, our desire is to keep his commandments. So we look first and foremost to the scripture to see what it says about the issue that we're facing. When facing a gray area, the second question I should ask is, is this beneficial? There are some things that scripture has not talked about, right? We, we've talked about that extent already. There are some things that scripture lists that it says, this is sinful. Do not do this. Thou shall not murder, right? That's very simple, black and white. But then there's some things that it's silent on. And so we need to understand that even though the scripture says certain things are not sinful, they are not always beneficial. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will be dominated by, not be dominated by anything. Paul was addressing in this scripture a a belief that that, uh, the the phrase in here is in quotations. You'll notice in scripture, all things are lawful for me. And so Paul was addressing a a certain uh, mindset, if you will, in the Corinthian church. It was like, well, we've been set free by Jesus. We can do anything that we want. And and Paul's saying, yeah, maybe you can, but not all things are beneficial for me, right? Not all things are beneficial. There's some truth that we have freedoms in Christ, but that doesn't mean that everything that we can do in the name of the freedom of Christ is good for me. For example, as a Christian, I have the freedom to go eat McDonald's three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, Am I being gluttonous? No, I'm only eating one hamburger every meal. But how many of you understand that if I eat fast food every single day of every week of the entire year, that I am going to be incredibly unhealthy? That is not beneficial for my life. So even though the practice itself is not sinful, the practice itself is not beneficial. So when approaching this, we need to practically ask the questions. Is it, is it beneficial spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, financially? Am I hurting myself? Am I hurting others? The third question when we're facing gray areas that we need to ask is, why do I want to do this? What's my motives for why I'm wanting to partake in a particular activity? Proverbs 21.2 says, every, uh, every way of man seems right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And I think when approaching a gray area, it's important for us to stop and ask ourselves, what is my motive? Right? Why am I trying to do this thing? It's important for us to examine our hearts. The fourth question when facing a gray area we need to ask is, is this thing controlling me? The scripture I read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 6.12, let me read it to you again. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. As Christians, we do live with freedom and we're not to be in bondage to any one 
anyone or anything except for Jesus Christ. And this, anything that leads us into an addictive pattern is not in a line with the plan and the purpose that God has for you and for me. The fifth question, the final question that we need to ask is, is this thing that I'm wanting to do, is it in alignment with the person of Jesus Christ and is it advancing my witness? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians uh, 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who is who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are disciples of Jesus, and as such, everywhere we go, we are a witness to the person of Jesus Christ. And so the greatest command given to believers is to go make disciples of all people. And so we need to be aware of our, our witness in the world. We need to be aware of how we're representing the person of Jesus Christ. Now, these five questions really establish a foundation for seeking out wisdom in gray areas. These questions will help guard you from falling into the ditch, and so they will also lead you to a place where you are honoring God with your life. Now, with these questions, let's start jumping into specific issues. We have the foundation laid. Let's look at these questions. And I, here's some questions I get all the time. Number one, can a Christian get a tattoo? How many of you have ever heard that question asked before? Raise your hand at me. Yeah, a lot of us have heard that question asked before. Maybe it's a question that we have had. Let's start looking at our grid today. First, is it scriptural? What does the scripture actually say about receiving a tattoo? From the New Testament perspective, the scripture is silent on whether or not a person can receive a tattoo or not. It does not endorse it, nor does it say that it is a sin. The only notable uh, scripture on the issue of tattoo is found in Leviticus 19.28, and it would appear in context that is speaking of marking your body for the dead in a practice of pagan worship, right? So from a scriptural standpoint, the only thing that would give Christians pause when it comes to tattoos is the fact that God gave us our body and we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So the question should be, how much modification does our body really need in order to honor God? And that question really comes down to a personal conviction. What is your conviction after spending time in prayer before the Lord? So since the Bible is silent on this issue, it would appear that getting a tattoo is not a sin. Therefore, this issue would fall into a gray area of personal conviction where a Christian would need to follow their convictions after praying to the Lord. The second question is this. Is getting a tattoo beneficial? Is it beneficial spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially? You know, that's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. Is it beneficial? From the perspective of being beneficial or not, it would be each person's particular situation. The only real issue in that is the financial consideration. Tattoos can be uh, expensive, but so can many other uh, uh, activities that we engage in. Third question, why do I want to get a tattoo? Why do I want to get one? That's my motive. If you're a child or a teenager and you're wanting to get a tattoo in rebellion to your parents to make a point, ah, now we got a problem, don't we? Right? That would be a sin. And all the dads, you know, like, yes, okay, you backed me up on this, all right? If you're wanting to get a tattoo in rebellion to your parents to say, look, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to show you, that would be a sin because we're called to honor and obey our parents. If you're wanting to get a tattoo uh, because of some vain desire where you're wanting to draw attention to yourself away from honoring God, it could be a problem. It's a heart issue. The question requires you to check your motives. Now, here's the catch. The only person that's going to know your motives is you and God. I can't look at your heart. So you can tell me one thing, but it really comes down to you seeking the Lord in prayer. Fourth, is this thing controlling me? Well, logically, I don't know how a tattoo would control you through any sort of bondage, so that question would not really apply. Fifth question, does getting a tattoo reflect Christ and advance my witness to Christ? Obviously, this is a contextual question, and probably your answer really depends on the household and the background that you grew up in. For many people, they would say, no, this is not going to advance your witness. This is a bad thing to do. You should not do that. On the other hand, 
There are many people, and I've heard some, even pastors, who say yeah, it has been beneficial to them. I heard a story of a pastor who was uh, in a very rough neighborhood in a city. Uh, he had lived a rough, a rough life himself, and one night he goes back to the youth group, and all of these young people are in the youth group, and, and they got tattoos all over the place. And before long, the pastor and them are discussing tattoos, and he's building a rapport to them. So maybe in his context, it would be helpful. It really comes down to you. So to sum it up, tattoos are a matter of personal conviction. The scripture is mostly silent, and the only reference would appear to be in pagan worship. Therefore, good judgment and prayer is what's required to decide if one should engage in this practice or not. This is, uh, this is an issue of personal conviction. Now, what do I think personally? I don't have a tattoo. Okay, I don't. Now, Charity, on the other hand, you'll have to talk to her afterwards. I'm going to pay for that. Okay. Huh? She said, make it clear I do not have a tattoo. She does not have a tattoo. Okay. Go on the record. I don't. I don't. You know why? Because I'm cheap. All right? It's not personal. I'm cheap. All right? I'm just not going to pay for something that I'm not going to. Re- I don't care. That's just what it comes down to. And so I'm cheap. So frankly, it comes down to your motive, and it comes down to your conviction through prayer, looking at the Word. All right, so that was an easy one. Let's move on to one that's a little bit more fun, a little bit more. Can a Christian consume alcohol? Wow, you know how many times I get this question? All the time. Can a Christian consume alcohol? What's my perspective of alcohol? Every sinner in the world knows that Jesus turned water into wine, right? I remember hearing this story, this is a joke, this guy's driving and he had a little bit too much to drink and the cop pulls him over and he has an open container and the cop walks up to the window and says, that right there, sir, what's in that container? He's like, oh, it's water, it's water. And the cop's like, give it to me. He smells it and he says, this is beer. And, and the guy's like, hallelujah, Jesus turned it to beer again, all right? <laughs> Every sinner knows Jesus turned water into wine. So what is the Bible say about this? What's really going on here? This is an incredibly hot button issue. And you might not know this, um, but this is an issue even inside of our denomination. We're in the fellowship of the Assemblies of God. And every two years, all the pastors get together in Orlando, Florida, and they argue if they should be able to have a beer or not. I'm not making this up. For the last three or four conventions, this has been the big argument. Do we allow our ministers to consume alcohol? Maybe this is an issue that you've been wrestling with and questioning. So let's start to look at our questions. Let's go through our grid and see what happens. Is drinking alcohol biblical? What does the Bible say about it? Unlike tattoos, the scripture says a lot about alcohol. Leviticus 10.9 forbid priests from drinking alcohol when they were ministering before the Lord. According to Mosaic law, somebody could take a Nazarite vow, which was a vow dedicating themselves to the Lord, and that person was to abstain from alcohol. You can read about that in Numbers chapter number 6. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, tells us in Proverbs 20 verse 1, wine is a mocker, a strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by them is not wise, right? This proverb is telling us that left unchecked, alcohol will lead you astray and only a fool would allow themselves to be controlled by alcohol. Now, so the scripture gives a lot of negative viewpoints when it comes to alcohol. However, in spite of these verses, the scripture does not forbid Christians from consuming alcohol. And to make the matter even more complicated, there are many places in scripture where alcohol is actually spoken in a positive term, such as Psalms 104, verses 14 through 15. It says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth fruit from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wow, this just got awkward. Amos 9.14 says, it it talks about showing how uh, wine from one's own vineyard is a sign of blessing, and Paul even encourages Timothy to drink a little wine to help with his stomach trouble in 1 Timothy 5.23. And of course, as we've already referenced, according to John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. Now, some would argue that it was only grape juice. However, from the best of my study, that's most likely not the case. Most likely, it would appear that the wine that Jesus 
Jesus made on that day would have had some level of alcohol in it. And it would also appear that Jesus himself drank alcohol because the religious leaders accused Jesus of being a drunken and a glutton in Luke chapter number 7. Okay, so now we are very, very much in the middle of a very confusing situation. What the Bible makes absolutely clear, let's start clearing out some of the muddy water. What the Bible makes absolutely clear is that Christians are forbidden from getting drunk, and drunkenness is considered a sin. Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Proverbs 23, uh, 39 through 30, or excuse me, 29 through 35 goes into great details about the, the, the sin of of drunkenness. The reason why alcohol is so highly is because you obviously, is this microphone now? It's coming and going. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of this thing. It's bothering me. All right, there we go. Now I'm a lot better. I don't know about you guys, but I'm better. So I'm moving on. The reason why alcohol is so highly debated is because alcohol has two different pictures painted about it inside of Scripture. On one hand, you have a lot of warnings about alcohol. It says that people who are led astray by it are foolish. It forbid the priests from drinking it. It prevented people from taking Nazarite vows from drinking it. John the Baptist would have been one of those people who would have never drank alcohol in his entire life. He was to be separated. And then on the other hand, you see that alcohol is referenced as a sign of blessing when it's consumed in moderation. And so there you have two extremes in this. The scripture has a warning about indulgences, and then you have lots of examples of, of it being a blessing and maybe even used for medicinal purposes. The matter of alcohol gets even more complicated because there's some debate about the alcohol content in wine that is referenced inside of scripture. And the argument goes something like this. The alcohol content in and biblical wine was not as high as it is today. And their argument for that goes to even looking at the last hundred years. If you look at the alcohol content in drinks starting at the 19th century, excuse me, the 20th century rather, all the way up to the day, you see that the alcohol content is slowly increasing and it's slowly raising in the drinks that have been sold. However, my problem with this argument, and even others like it that say that it was diluted by water, all these things, my problem with that argument is twofold. Number one is that we cannot confirm or deny that fact. And second, people living in the Bible days did not have, uh, uh, did not only had access to alcohol, but we also see examples of them getting drunk in the Bible. So we know that they could consume enough alcohol to get intoxicated. And so to me, the level didn't really matter. Did it take four drinks to get there? Or did it take six? Is an irrelevant argument to me. Taking scripture at face value, it would appear that drinking and consuming alcohol in moderation with the avoidance of drunkenness was not a sin and was permissible by Christians. Scripture also warns that drinking can lead us to compromising our walk. And that's very clearly laid out in Proverbs 21. One, and getting drunk is absolutely a sin. Now, some of you are like, well, that's, that's a lot uh, of information there. What are we really saying? Not, we're just breaking it down the nutshell to Scripture. If we're standing here and I was to give you the actual word, not my opinion, and say, what does the Bible say? The Bible does not forbid drinking in moderation. The Bible forbids getting drunk. Having said that, it also warns you, listen, when you get led astray by this, you're making a fool of yourself, and you are ending up in sin. And so it was a very big warning. So that doesn't really help us. What do we, how, do we, how do we start to distill that down even more? No pun intended. I don't <laughs> even break that down even more, right? That was good. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> Second question, is consuming alcohol in moderation? Because we understand getting drunk is a sin. So the rest of these questions are in moderation. Is consuming alcohol in moderation beneficial? Alcohol consumption uh, in moderation doesn't seem to show any addictive practices. Um, and some medical studies even saying that uh, red wine has shown some benefit to the body. I do think that uh, if you're married and your spouse is saying, hey, you know, uh, you're, you're drinking too much, perhaps you're crossing a line. If it causes a problem between you and your spouse or you and your family, that would not be beneficial. So this is a contextual question that you're going to have to really look at. Is this beneficial to me? 
Is this something I really want to spend my money on? Is there any good outcome? Do I want to do I want to play around with fire where I know that at two drinks I'm fine, at three drinks I'm sinning? Is that really something I want to be a part of? You got to ask yourself that. Third question, why do I want to consume alcohol in moderation? This really this question really comes down to you and God. What is your motive? What is your motive? And I think this is a very telling sign. Uh, is it to be sociable? Is it to be relaxed? Or is it because you like the taste? I mean, what, what's your motive here? Uh, and you're the only one that can answer this question. I would warn you, though, that if you find yourself partaking to disconnect or to self-medicate, uh, then you would be approaching on sin. Uh, some people say, I only have one drink a day, but I can't go to bed till I have my one drink. Well, going back to that first, uh, that Corinthians 6, 13, it, are you controlling it or is it controlling you? Only you know and only God knows. Fourth, is it controlling me? Again, going to that question, what, what's, what's controlling? Because if it's controlling you, you're crossing scriptural freedoms. Fifth, does consuming alcohol reflect the person of Christ and your per- personal witness? Now, this one is very tricky, and I want to tell you a story uh, as an uh, anecdote to this, my family uh, is not regular uh, church attenders. Uh, we all went out to eat. They, they do drink in moderation. Um, very rarely do they, they go beyond moderation, but we were all out to dinner, uh, and they had a drink. And my sister looks at me, and she says, does this bother you that I'm having a drink here at the table? And I said, no, not at all. And then I turned it around, and I said, would it bother you if I ordered one? And she just looked at me for a while, and she said, yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. And I thought that's very telling. My, my sister's not a judgmental person by any means. And I called her. I said, hey, why, why does that bother you? If, it, if it's okay for you to do it, why is it not okay for me to do it? She said, well, you're a pastor. That would just be weird. So does alcohol affect our witness? Probably does, just to be real honest with you. There's some people say, oh, no, it wouldn't bother me if you did. But it probably does at least give people pause that you would partake in this. Paul encouraged us to be aware that every action we take needs to glorify Jesus. In a, in a world where drinking is associated with partying and debauchery, drinking can be damaging to our witness. So to sum this up, I want to answer this, this two ways, uh, from a scriptural standpoint, from a wisdom standpoint, and then just I'll share with you my personal conviction. Biblically, um, again, we read scripture, take it at face value, and say that consuming alcohol in moderation is permissible, but one should use extreme caution, extreme caution. Like this isn't something to mess around with on how one consumes, why one consumes, where one consumes, and how much one consumes. Lots of caution. Now, personal conviction. I, I don't drink alcohol for several reasons. Charity, on the other hand, I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> Listen. I'm just kidding. No. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I, I don't. I don't drink alcohol. I've, I've never had a huge desire to drink alcohol. I'm a creature of habit, so if you were to offer me a beer or coffee, I'd take coffee every time. Um, I don't drink for several reasons. Number one, I don't have a desire. Number two, I signed a piece of paper. You might not know this. As a credential minister with the Assemblies of God, I signed a piece of paper saying I would not do two things. I would not drink alcohol, and I would not gamble. And so I want to be a man of my word. I signed that piece of paper on my own uh, convictions. Um, was it easy for me to sign that? Yes, it was, because those are two things that I'm not going to do, again, because I'm cheap. And so uh, that was easy from not, that real spiritual in that moment. I was like, yeah, sure, I don't care. And so anyway, Ways I signed off on that, but I, I don't do that. Um, and, and third, this is my conviction, my conviction. You don't have to hold this conviction. There's a lot of bad things that happen surrounding alcohol. A lot of bad things. You've been in ministry at all. You start talking to young ladies. A lot of them have been uh, drugged over a drink. A lot of them have been taken advantage of over a drink. Alcohol-related deaths are the fourth leading cause of preventable uh, death in the United States. Uh, Drunk driving decimates countless, countless families every year, and we don't seem to talk about it because a lot of us don't want to make the sacrifice that it would take to not lead to that. Uh, And so, frankly, um, Scripture and in the Bible days, here's my personal gut feeling. I think Jesus probably consumed alcohol in the Bible days, um, mainly because he had two options. You have dirty water and you have wine. Given those two options, I would probably take the wine too. But today, that's not the same issue that we have. 
Uh, today, we, we have countless beverage options, and so in my opinion, with the risk associated with alcohol, I have chose to abstain from that practice because for me, the risks don't, uh, out, uh, excuse me, the risk outweigh the rewards. And so since I have so many other options, I'm going to stick with that. You don't have to hold to my convictions. I've just given you the word. I know, and, and I don't want to judge anybody else, I know a lot, of, a lot of pastors who say, well, just don't do it because it's terrible, and, it's bad. and I don't want to do that because I want to stick to Scripture. That's my, that's, my, that's my calling, that's my conviction, is to stick to Scripture. And scripturally, you have the right, you have the freedom to drink in moderation if you choose. My warning to you, based upon Scripture, is be very, very careful, and to make that decision with wisdom through prayer and through your own personal convictions. All right, let's get to something a little bit easier. Can a Christian smoke medical marijuana or recreational marijuana? We're just going to make it easier as we go along here, all right? Uh, This question is one I get a lot, believe it or not. Um, And this is a question that is often posed to me by older people versus younger people. In today's world, Uh, This is a very hot-button topic, to say the least, and this is, without a doubt, the most difficult one to answer because you have the medical side, and then you have the recreational side of marijuana, and so we need to do the best we can to approach this from a biblical perspective. Is smoking marijuana uh, biblically permissible? We need, to, we need to look at this three different sections when answering this question. First, recreationally. Second, uh, medicinally. And third, we need to look at, just to say we answer the question, CBD oil. So let's first look at recreational marijuana. First uh, Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, smoking marijuana does lead to an intoxicated state. I've called people who are recovered from drug abuse. I said, just tell me what your opinion is on this. And they said, yes, it absolutely leads you to an intoxicated state. It leads you to a high very easily. And that, according to scripture, be a sin for two reasons. One, we're not to get drunk. And obviously in context, drunkenness, high, it's an, it's an intoxicated state that the scripture is, is speaking to. And the scripture also calls us to be sober minded, to be sober minded. And so anything that would lead us to an impaired state crosses the scriptural guidelines for our life as believers. And so when we're high, we're not sober-minded. Therefore, we are sinning against God's commandments for the life of a believer. Um, And therefore, there's no reason to move on when it talks about recreational marijuana. The scripture is the final authority. And so we've now hit a point with recreational marijuana where scripture says that it is a sin. Therefore, it doesn't really matter if we find it beneficial. It doesn't matter if we think it helps our witness or not. None of those things really matter because scripture says it's a sin. Now, we do though have to still answer the question, well, what about medicinal use? What about medical marijuana? Because medical marijuana complicates the issue a lot because there's so much competing information out there right? And they're constantly in contradiction. The facts are the FDA has approved medical marijuana for only two rare forms of epilepsy. Now, the reason why the FDA has limited it to rare forms of epilepsy is because there's very limited research on medical marijuana because marijuana is still considered a class one drug by the DEA. Therefore, the FDA can't really approve a lot of research on the effectiveness of medical marijuana. So you have a lot of debate there. And obviously, when you start talking about the government limiting something, you, you then add that piece to the puzzle where some people say, well, I don't know if the government should be the one telling us what to do, not do. And I don't really want to jump into all that because we don't have time for that, all right? You guys want to eat lunch, and I want to eat Thanksgiving dinner. And if we start going down that road, we are going to be here for a long time. The reality is I am not a medical professional. I'm not going to give you any medical advice. This is a conversation you need to be having with your medical professional. My job is to give you biblical perspective. And the goal and the command of a Christian is to be sober-minded. And so as Christians, we should be seeking medical treatment that allows us to honor God with a sober mind in order to help fulfill his will for our lives on this earth. And the reality is that medical marijuana can be abused. 
The other reality is, is that common pain medication can also be abused and impair your mind. So what are we to do with all this? What are we to do with all this? There's nothing in Scripture that would necessarily prevent us from saying that uh, medical marijuana would be a sin as long, as long as it's under the direction of a legit medical professional. Pause. We all are adults. We understand that there are people who are exploiting others in pain and in need by saying, I'm a doctor, send me, and I'll sign a prescription for you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a legitimate medical professional speaking to you about your medical needs. Um, therefore, there's nothing in Scripture to say that it's, that, it's, uh, that it's a sin as long as you're using it under the legitimate medical professional's guidance, and it's used for the purpose of treating a medical condition and not to impair your state of mind. And see, that's where the line starts to get blurry. The goal is honoring God with a sober mind. And so as Christians, we want to honor God. We should be actively seeking out treatment that allows us to do that. And that's what I want to encourage you with. You should be seeking out treatment that allows you to honor God with a sober mind. That could be medical marijuana. That could be pain pills. If anything is impairing your mind, your goal, first and foremost, should be to try to figure out something that doesn't impair a sober mind. So if you choose to take medical marijuana as part of your treatment, I would say do extreme caution and make sure that doesn't cross the line of sobriety. That's, that's how I would read the scripture. Now, very quickly, uh, CBD oil, from my understanding, true CBD oil, it removes the THC that is present. Therefore, there'd be no difference between taking uh, the oil versus taking a Tylenol uh, in a spiritual context um, and would be permissible uh, in scripture because true CBD oil should not alter your state of mind. Um, so I believe from scripture, it's very easy to conclude that uh, recreational marijuana be sin. Medical marijuana might be permissible uh, under highly controls instances that does not allow us to lose our sobriety, and CBD oil would be uh, permissible. Moving on, second question, is medical marijuana beneficial? Again, this is a question you need to discuss with your licensed medical professional. In my research, the side effects of smoking marijuana are extremely dangerous. It'd be my personal conviction that uh, that would not be where I'd be seeking um, uh, help from my medical treatment. Uh, On the other hand, I I also believe that narcotics are really bad for your health too. So you need to be very wise in that. And you also need to understand uh, that in our day and age, sometimes money trumps everything else. So again, you really want to talk to your doctor and make sure that you have a good doctor, a doctor that's credible, uh, hopefully a doctor that's a Christian that can help you approach that. Third, why do I want to consume medical marijuana? Now this to me is the heart of the issue is the why. Uh, this situation that, you, that you're approaching, maybe this medical uh, situation that you have, you need to seek this out and say, what, why am I choosing this as my option to, to bring some healing to whatever is ailing me? Uh, is my sole reason because this is the only thing that works? Or is this the thing that makes me think that it's working? Is this the only thing that works, or is this something that I also want to engage in? The unfortunate issue with uh, medical marijuana is that it's very easy to get to a place where I'm high. And so by taking medical marijuana, I'm, I'm crossing the line, and, and we need to check our motives and say, is there any added benefit to this, or is it just simply because uh, I, I want to get a buzz? Again, that's only you and God know that. Fourth, does mer- medical marijuana have some controlling uh, aspects to it? Uh, there's some debate on that, but from everything I can tell there is addictive properties, and so the answer would be yes. Fifth, does medical marijuana follow the pattern, the person of Jesus Christ, and advance my witness? Uh, we, have no, we have no biblical perspective on this, but I would say that obviously you can deduce that that could be an issue. Now, I think it'd be best to wrap this up with a summary. While medical marijuana doesn't seem to be sinful according to Scripture, uh, if it doesn't lead to a high, the Scripture also tells us to seek wisdom, act uh, wisely. And so this is a very, very, very difficult issue to approach. My personal conviction uh, is that medical marijuana is not something that I am going to uh, be seeking out. Um, The tendency would be to lose sobriety, and the apparent negative side effects is something that I don't want to participate in. you need to approach this with the goal of being sober-minded and honoring God, and that's how you should approach it, and each person should uh, 
should face it that way. Um, my biggest problem with medical marijuana, and I think, and I want to wrap this portion up with this, is that I think a lot of people are looking to check out from reality. And as Christians, we need to understand that no matter what we're facing, God has put us in our reality. God is not looking to remove us from that reality. He's looking to lead us through that reality. We sang a song a minute ago, you're the way maker, you're the miracle worker. And what we see in scripture is very rarely did God ever remove somebody out of something. He walked them through it. And so I think in our culture today, a lot of us are facing things and we're wanting to escape from that reality when the mindset of a Christian is to walk through that reality. Um, going back to the Exodus, the people were led out of Egypt the long way around through the I mean, Red Sea. I mean, it was, a, it was a long process. And not once did God snap his finger and just teleport them to the promised land, which he could have done if he wanted to, but he didn't. Why? Because that wasn't good for them. They needed to walk through it. And so I wouldn't just leave you with that thought. Um, I've just covered three of the biggest taboo issues facing the church, and I want to wrap the whole thing up with some thoughts if the worship team would come back. We've obviously covered a lot of information uh, this morning. I feel like at this point, uh, you might have some thoughts on this, and, and I hope that these five questions can help address these issues that you might be dealing with. However, you might be sitting there and thinking, yeah, but he didn't really take a stand on a couple of those things. I want to know, yes or no. I want to know, yes or no. Can I do this or can I not? And there's certain things he says, this comes down to personal conviction. Why didn't you just say yes or no? Well, here's why. First, because I made a commitment to sticking to the word and what the word says. And today I feel like I've done that. I feel like I've given you the word. Secondly, more importantly though, I think so many times the questions that we are asking are not leading us to the right answers because we're asking the wrong questions. I want to say that again. Sometimes the questions we're asking are not leading us to the right answers because we're asking the wrong questions. Here's the biggest issue I want to leave you with. I started my message with this. I want to end it with it. This heart of scripture is not behavior modification. It's life altercation. It's changing. We talk about this a lot. Jesus is not about do's and don'ts. And as a Christian, we are to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And so all of these issues need to be approached from the place of what, of, of not, what can I get away with? See, a lot of the questions that we ask are based on what can I get away with? What can I get away with? And that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. We need to be asking, Jesus, what can I honor you with? What can I honor you with? The pattern and the command of scripture is that there should be a noticeable separation between the Christian and the life of a non-believer. There should be a big difference between the people in the church and the people in the culture based on our lifestyle. So the, the, the scripture doesn't take a hard stand on never drink a beer because that's not the point. That's not the point. God is not trying to micromanage your life. He's trying to get you to love him more, to honor him in everything, and to worry more about his glory than your desire. He's trying to get you to worry more about his honor than what you want in the moment. He wants you to be more concerned with having a clear and sober mind to do his work and to live out your purpose more than anything else. Now, let's think about that in the context of a lot of different things that we debate about. R-rated movies can, R-rated movies with a lot of explicit sexual scenes, can, can, can we watch that? Well, porn is sin. And so some people say, well, I'll just fast forward through those parts. But again, I think those are the wrong questions. What can I honor God with? And does this thing that I'm wanting to participate in or to consume, is it helping my mind and my body honor Jesus more or is it adding some contaminants to my life that I'm gonna have to remove later? What's it doing? Gambling, can I gamble, is it a sin? In most cases, gambling probably is a sin because people are controlled by it, they're addicted by it, and it's robbing their family of resources and it's destroying their life. Is gambling $20 on a Friday night once every six months a sin? No, scripture doesn't say that. But the problem is not that one moment, it's the problem that we 
tend to lead ourselves into that before long we're trapped in the bondage of something that's robbing our kids of their future? Those are the questions we need to be asking. That's why Paul said, yeah, everything's lawful, quote unquote, but not everything's beneficial. We have to advance the glory of God. So there's two things I want to leave you with when approaching taboo issues. And the first is this. We all need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 say this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We need to be approaching God and allowing God to prune our hearts so that we can honor him more and more and that he gets the glory. I know there are some things in my life that God has stuck his finger on and said no more. That is not sin. But God has removed it from my heart and I don't partake in it. Why? Because personal conviction. God has laid that on my heart and I want to honor him with my life. And your responsibility, my responsibility is constantly be coming to the throne of God, so to speak, bowing down and saying, God, make me more like you so I can honor you more in every area. And sometimes God will put his finger on, a, on, on an area of your life that isn't necessarily sinful, but he says, I want this for mine. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The second thing that we need to do when approaching these taboo issues is we need to check our heart when it comes to other people. There's a good chance that somebody in this room disagrees with something I said. And we need to all acknowledge that these are not easy issues to approach. And it's been my observation when it comes to taboo issues that one or two outcomes tend to come in the life of a believer. Either number one, we have pride, or number two, we have legalism. Those tend to be the two outcomes when we approach these taboo issues. Let me give you an example. Drinking alcohol and the Assemblies of God ministers. I'm on several different groups and forums, and you start talking about alcohol in a group of Assembly of God ministers, and it gets very polarizing very quickly. Half the room says, well, scripture doesn't say that it's a sin. The other half said, but look at all the bad things. And it leads to one of two things. It leads to pride or it leads to legalism. And here's what happens. Pride says, uh, a person says, look, the scripture doesn't forbid it. And I can maintain self-control. It's not my fault that you're weak in the faith. You should be more like me. I've seen people say that. I don't care that other people fall and are addicted to alcohol. I can maintain self-control. I shouldn't be punished because those people don't have any self-control. What is that? That's pride in your heart. That's pride. And Paul tells us that we need to be careful of people of weaker faith and we need to bear with them. So that attitude of pride is anti-scripture. And so you might have the right to have a beer, but you don't have the freedom of pride to rub it in someone else's face. Now, the extreme opposite side of that is legalism. A person says, look, drinking alcohol leads to a lot of bad things. Therefore, even though it's not said it's a sin, we should just go ahead and throw it over there because it leads to a lot of bad things. And somebody who loves Jesus wouldn't do that. And so if you're having a beer, you don't love Jesus. This too is also a problem because it's a legalistic approach because we're trying to add our personal convictions into scripture and we're adding to scripture so when approaching taboo issues we need to focus on ourselves working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and we need to be very careful not to transpose our convictions on other people through pride or legalism will you please stand with me this morning